Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. All right, we're continuing our podcast uh, series during March uh, with conversations with youth ministers. Um, I'm a youth minister. Uh, it's been my job the last uh, almost four years now, and so through those four years, I've developed some close friendships with youth ministers, um, primi- primarily here in Southern California. Uh, but this conversation is with my friend Jordan Koss, um, and so you get to hear a little bit about how we met and what he's doing right now and some reflections on youth ministry. So, tune in. All right, we're here uh, in the church building in Glendale, and I got my friend Jordan from Central California. Uh, Jordan, um, let's see, San Jose, right? San Jose, and that's technically NorCal, Northern oh, California. Oh, Northern California. Yeah, that's right. So it's very different. Where is Central California? Uh, anywhere I think south of Carmel to like San Luis Obispo, I don't know. So Santa okay. Barbara. <laughs> okay. Does Bakersfield get in there, or is Bakersfield its own? Bakersfield. Like, nobody energy. cares about Bakersfield because yeah. it's like all the most polluted city in, in the right. Central Valley. But right. it's like I hear that Fresno is the like middle point between Northern and Southern California. Like they okay. actually have a marker or a tree standing at that wow. spot. Wow. Yeah. See, I'm from Oregon, and so anything south of like Sacramento to me is Southern. You know what I mean? Central to Southern California. No, no. Because um, there's a lot of California north of where you live. It, there is, but uh, I don't know how many people go up there. They like drive up there to go to Oregon right. or Washington. But. Yeah, but that's about <laughs> it. Yeah. Maybe they go to the town of Weed or something like that. You know? I do know somebody in Weed. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're, uh, you're not originally, though, from California. No. Um, you're from the Midwest. So... Um, What's that like living in California now? Sure. So like I never I never came out to California before meeting my wife who's from San Diego. Um, so born and born and raised in uh, the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, Allen Park, downriver, um, for about nine years, and then our family moved in the early '90s to uh, outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the Westchester area. Okay. And then I spent a, a half of my adolescence there, about eight years, and then I uh, uh, made a decision to go and move down to Tennessee for my senior year. My dad like approached me. He's like, hey, do you want to move or stay? I'm like, let's get out of here. I don't like it here. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was okay. a tough transition from the Midwest to East Coast culture. Yeah. And uh, But that was good. It was a good change. It was a good change going to Tennessee my senior year. That was fun. All right. Well, yeah. very cool. Um, so similar stories to some degree. I met my wife is from Orange County, and so that's also why I'm in California. Um, but uh, but yeah, we can we can explore some of these things. You um, so you you have a wife and two kids, right? Three kids. Three yes, kids, yes. man. You know, is yeah. I forget mm-hmm. things all the time. That's I right. do know that one of them is <laughs> is uh, Toby Kenobi or Toby Kenobi. Kenobi that's yeah. right. You know, yeah. we have Chance Pants, Riley Bear, and then Toby Kenobi. Uh, that's yeah, awesome. I know. That's awesome. And and my wife's name is is Corridan. Her full name is Corridan, and that's uh, I think Gaelic or Scottish for God's chosen one. So oh, there you I, go. I made the right choice. Apparently. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What are you? Are you? You know, what's your I'm. Uh, my name is Hebrew. Your name. Okay. You know, uh, from the river. So, All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, I guess it would be good for you know you going to a seminary that you you know what uh, yeah, stands I know, for. Pretty much. It, yeah, um, if I didn't, uh, something would be wrong. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And you're further down on your seminary journey than me, so we'll definitely get there. Okay. Um, so we met uh, two years ago now, right? Um, yeah, 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 something like that. And uh, maybe even, yeah, a little more than two years, I guess, because uh, we met in the fall. Um, and it was, we were on a, on a ship, like we spent the night mm-hmm. on this boat mm-hmm. in Long Beach, yeah. and uh, really kind of a weird experience kind of yeah. a strange experience <laughs> bonded over climbing up a tall you know the mast, mast of yeah. a ship yeah. yeah i was the token guy from northern california with right. all you southern california youth ministers yeah. yeah we didn't really know there were youth ministers in northern <laughs> california uh, in the churches of christ no i'm just kidding but um yeah it was really neat uh, obviously they connected to pepperdine their youth ministry mm-hmm. network mm-hmm. um so i have fond memories I, I was pretty early on for both of us in our our jobs um our new jobs, I guess, yeah. if you will, and mm-hmm. so it was neat to connect and kind of just share uh, about about that. So um, maybe some people on the podcast aren't familiar with what it means to be a youth minister in the Church of Christ, but okay. you know, take a shot at that. What do you yeah. what do you think that means? I mean, growing up in the Midwest in, in Michigan, and then in a Church of Christ, specifically that in that context, and also on the East Coast, there's not many. It's not it's not the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. um, and so when you come to a congregation. The general congregation is typically going to be small and conservative. And so growing up in those congregations in East Coast and Midwest, um, there were no youth groups. Mm. It's like when I moved down to Tennessee to a town called McMinnville, middle in the middle part of the state, about an hour and a half southeast of Nashville, there was a youth group. And I was like, what is this? What is, what is a youth group? And, yeah, yeah, and at yeah. that point in my life as a senior in high school, I was just kind of like, eh, no thanks. You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but um, so, but what is a youth group? What does it mean to be a youth minister in Churches of Christ? Is, was that your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. Take a, take a shot at it. This will help me understand what I do. <laughs> you know? I, didn't, I didn't go in uh, to be a youth minister. Like what I knew growing up for the majority of my adolescence was there's just one guy. And he's yeah. the lead preaching minister, teaching minister. And so when I made the decision the spring semester of my freshman year of college at Rochester College, back up there in Detroit, I, uh, I assumed, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a, a preaching minister. And, mm-hmm. and um, that, that shifted the farther along I went in my studies and uh, to the point where, you know, I've been in ministry th- since 2010, about so eight years, mm-hmm. and been in student ministry that whole time. Yeah, yeah. And definitely, I mean, there's, you know, radical shifts in what we think of as youth ministry or student ministry or mm-hmm. um, maybe the, the seminary term of ministry to adolescents, um, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and I'm in a class on family ministry. So, I mean, we're just kind of re-envisioning what it means to do ministry to these right. Uh, right. To young people mm-hmm. and in a church mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's definitely changed over the years, you know, even yeah. since you started in 2010. Yeah. I mean, where I started was southeast, southwest Georgia in mm-hmm. Columbus. And that's like right there on the Chattahoochee River. So if you like Alan Jackson, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and that's a very different context than mm-hmm. Modesto. And then where I'm at now in San Jose, completely different context than Modesto, which is in the Central Valley. Very different, very different at, at that. And in the Central Valley of California, you have a lot of... Um, what seems to be transplanted church context from the Dust Bowl states. Mm-hmm. So that when I came out to California, having grown up in the East Coast, uh, it really surprised me what churches of Christ were like in the Central Valley of California. Because when you think California, you think, okay, a little bit more progressive, a little bit more quote-unquote liberal, but it wasn't that case at all. So it was, yeah. that was pretty surprising. And, um, you know, I had no idea 
you know, what I was going, what, what youth ministry meant when I got into it. Cause I was like, again, I didn't plan on it. Uh, so in, in Georgia, what, uh, I kind of started, that's where I kind of started getting into, you know, Kenda Creasy Dean, almost Christian. And mm-hmm. then you lost me by Barna group, David Kinneman and, and then sticky faith. And, and then that was kind of the start of, okay, helping me get some clarity and focus on what this means to be right. a student youth minister and what I'm supposed to be doing. Because at that point, I was just learning on the job. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, I, I think we all at, at one point or another have that turn, right, where we get introduced to someone who kind of becomes a mentor. Mm-hmm. A big part of why I'm at Fuller and, and things is because of uh, Chap Clark and his writing, which he, mm-hmm. he helped write the Sticky Faith book and things. But, um, you know, in many ways, we kind of look to these these people who become spiritual mentors in, in some way. Um, and I think... One of the neat ways of that youth ministry group is that, um, and how we met was kind of a, a Church of Christ guru in youth ministry, Jeff Walling, yeah. was like, hey, I'm going to come back and work at Pepperdine and, and lead up this youth leadership initiative. And, and a lot of what he does is just kind of bless youth ministers in, mm-hmm. in the state, especially in Southern California. Um, and uh, and it kind of changed the way I kind of see those mentor relationships, right, is mm-hmm. where no longer am I just reading a book about it, but I'm actually talking to people like like you, Jordan, mm-hmm. or, or others in our in our group who are in similar context, um, you know, dealing with church elders and, mm-hmm. and other ministers, mm-hmm. dealing with parents, and, and having to actually kind of talk about programming, things that yeah. go well, things that don't. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it's really helpful to have these, these relationships. And I, I mean, that's a big reason why this podcast um just to have these conversations get to know each other's stories um so uh we're gonna get into a couple things more about um things that have added value to your life on this journey but um you're you're doing your demon or your doctorate of ministry um Mm -hmm. we uh we have a saying in our southern california youth ministry group that first you become divine and then you become a demon (laughs) <laughs> um, so uh, you're on that track. Yes, I have I don't to make really that clarification know. every time I tell somebody I'm yeah. going to get a demon. Yeah, know? that's right. That's right. Um, so I won't do an exorcism later, but because uh, it's actually a good good thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, talk talk to us a little bit about what your um, what your doctorate is mm-hmm. is kind of in and sure. what where you are in that process. You know, let me tar- I guess start with my story some sense uh, before I kind of go into how I got into you know going to school to become ministry uh, become a minister um, you know I, typical Church of Christ kid growing up in Church of Christ it's like okay my, my journey as a Christian began when I was baptized and that was 12 that was back in 96 1996 and but when I often kind of share my story about how I got in to ministry uh, the process of getting into ministry and going to school I start um, on a football field in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, my senior year of high school. Um, when it, we moved from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, I moved by myself. My parents had to stay back and s- to sell the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was there that entire summer between my junior and senior year living with my cousin and his friends who were 24. And it was like oh, an wow. awesome summer, you know, yeah. playing baseball yeah. and not being away from the parents and just having fun. And they talked me into playing football my senior year. I played since I was eight or nine, but I was gonna like, I'm just gonna focus on baseball this year. But um, they talked me into it, and so I, I played. And going into the season, you know, we were uh, the seventh largest school in the state, and um, 
in preseason rankings came out, there's 55 5A high schools in the state mm. of Tennessee, wow. and we were 55th. Oh <laughs> and so, nothing, you know, this, to say the least, uh, I mean, go, we were 0-9 going the last yeah. game of the year. Yeah. And uh, But what fun thing about having a terrible offense and playing defense from the linebackers is the defense is on the field the entire time. So going into the last game of the year, I had the third most tackles in the state. If I had a good game, I could have made all state. And who knows what would have happened if I would have gone and played football yeah. in college. Tennessee Tech was kind of get, have, had their eye on me. And uh, I make the tackle on the kickoff. And there was fireworks going off because it was the first game of their new stadium, one of the best teams in Middle Tennessee. Next play from scrimmage on defense, I tear my ACL. And, <laughs> and so I'm lying there. As my knee, left knee is swelling up to the size of a cantaloupe. And they – pick me up, they take me to the uh, sideline, I sit on the bench and, and the rest of the game I hear who let the dogs out eight times because that's how many touchdowns they score against us oh, and we were just creamed but I, I start my story there, you know at, the, at that moment in my life um, the worst thing that ever happened to me but that, like in, in hindsight 2020 vision, that was kind of the beginning of the process that made me choose not to go play football go play baseball my freshman year at Rochester and then at Rochester realizing Hey, being at a Christian school, uh, even though I thought, hey, that's when my faith is going to take off, it really didn't. Mm. Um, and therefore, I really had that sense of I need to choose what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And my faith isn't taking off as much as I wanted it to. But I'm really also feeling this deep sense of calling uh, to go into ministry because of my experience in college, um, because of an elder's wife in my home congregation that I got to go to with my sister. Um, every Sunday, we would drive back down to you know, Lincoln Park, um, and a lot of other things going on in my mind, I chose to go into ministry. My dad's mm-hmm. a PK, and I called him, like, Dad, I made this decision, and he's like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. He's like, okay. So at, at, at that point, it's like, all right, I transferred uh, my next year to go to Freed Hardeman, mm-hmm. and Freed Hardeman's kind of like, you know, when you grow up, grow up conservative Church of Christ, you go to Freed Hardeman if you're going to be a Bible major. Yeah. You know, that in, in my world. That's right. what you do. And um, so I go there. I get a BA in Bible. My senior year, a professor shows up on the scene. His name's Kevin Youngblood, who's now a uh, professor at Harding Main Campus okay. in Searcy. And, uh, you know, I, he was my favorite professor. And because of him, uh, I stayed for my MA to sit at his feet for another year. Mm. And he mentored me in my thesis and in many other ways. And so he was instrumental in kind of the development of myself as a minister and also as a, an aspiring theologian. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I owe a lot to him. Mm-hmm. And he's also the reason why I then transferred over to uh, Harding School of Theology in Memphis right. for my MDiv. And there I um, finished writing my thesis for my MA and then finished my MDiv in 2011, a couple years after Corey and I got married. Um, while we were in Georgia, our first mm. uh, first stint in ministry, and so now I find myself uh, seven years later. Uh, I applied at Fuller back in 2014 or 2015, and you're there. You you're allowed three years of kind of wiggle room to begin the program. So I finished or I started right at that end of that okay. three year period yeah. um, because I needed to have a, a little time between starting at Campbell and then going into my studies. Um, that's what my elders were like. Hey, you need to kind of hold off and get settled and get your ministry off and running. Mm-hmm. And so now uh, I'm uh, doing this personalized track in the DMIN program at Fuller. Um, and Fuller came into view for me 
um, kind of as I moved out to California in, in 2012 to Modesto and our church participated in the Sticky Faith cohort um, for that year, 2013-2014. And uh, that was a great experience um, in learning because my job uh, at this church was, my title was Youth and Family Integration Minister. Integration and, <laughs> yeah. Minister. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. Nice. Uh, basically, my job was to uh, integrate Sticky Faith philosophy into the culture of the congregation. Hmm. So I tried lots of things. You know, I started the Orange Curriculum there because mm-hmm. Sticky Faith and Fuller is real big on the Orange Curriculum. And, uh, and then that was a great experience. And, and one thing we, uh, uh, we, we tried doing was a, a thing called Off the Wall, where we would collect people's questions about faith and God and the Bible. And uh, we would take those put them together, see which ones kind of rose to the surface, and with a panel of like six people on Wednesday nights, uh, like an elder, elder's wife, uh, minister, minister's wife, and just uh, and two other young people, both male and female. So we had three men, three women, kind of trying to answer some of the biggest questions within the life of the congregation hmm. for an hour on Wednesday night. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that sounds a like a fascinating experience. You Can you you know share like uh, one particular night do you remember um some kind of maybe one question that you thought was handled really really interestingly i mean it doesn't have to be sure i mean super specific well one night my wife was was on there and 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 she answered the question of you know women and women's roles and women leadership and and she did a great job and uh and what was really cool even though it was a more conservative church of christ there was no backlash on Mm. that and so, and, and with Sticky Faith, you're trying to create a space to express your doubts, mm-hmm. express your questions, because silence rather than doubt is, is what's toxic to faith. That's one of the big right. lines. Yeah. And so that was really cool. And I, and I hope the people appreciated it while we were there going through that, because we did it for like eight to ten weeks, one, one spring, I think. It was the spring of, of 2015 before hmm. moving to Campbell in San Jose. And another question was, you know, and, and this is like related to kind of like when the subject of resurrection mm, and mm-hmm. eternity that became my soapbox because that's what I wrote my thesis on. My thesis was officially called a discourse analysis on Second Corinthians four sixteen to five ten, and in that, Paul specifically kind of counteracts this Gnostic and dualistic way of right. thinking about. Um, your body and the mm. spirit mm-hmm. and therefore resurrection because he's using resurrection to defend his apostleship because they're looking at him saying, Paul, you look like nothing like what an apostle should like look like in our minds. Yeah. But Paul's like, um, no, <laughs> I'm experiencing all of these sufferings and who knows what that makes me not look very apostle in your eyes, but the spirit is using those within me to renew my inner man to the point when Jesus returns and I'm resurrected, you're going to see me for who I really am. So he uses resurrection in defense of his apostleship in that whole section. And what he does there is just kind of beautiful and kind of gives us an, uh, an amazing picture of, of what resurrection means mm. um, and what eternity, therefore, is going to be, which what he says there is very rem- reminiscent and there's a lot of parallels with what Paul says he says in Romans 8 in that section mm. where he talks about creation being redeemed and um, which I come to find out through the writing of my thesis, like um, we need to totally kind of botch that up, and because we, we um, are so uh, affected by that dualistic thinking without yeah. even realizing it, 
Um, and so that's that was my soapbox, and I love talking about that. And so the question always comes up. We just tackled this question in, in, uh, this past week. I wasn't there because I'm down mm-hmm. here in L.A. For sure. Of animals in heaven. Are there going to be right. animals yeah, in heaven? Yeah. And, and so I get this question. And I answer it, and I'm like, sure, there's going to be animals in heaven, you know, and renewed creation, new heavens, new earth, and, you know, and, and kind of giving my spiel about that. And then the minister's wife sitting right next to me, she's just like, no, you know, it's like, that's so crazy. There's no biblical proof for that. And, yeah. And I, but I was just like, I knew I was expecting that, but um, it was just a lot, of, it was a lot of fun because right. um, that was my kind of introduction to trying to start to instill that sticky faith culture mm-hmm. in terms of hey let's have a conversation mm-hmm. let's express our questions and our doubts um and our curiosities about this because we don't understand a lot of it and that's okay um a big thing that i i, I like to kind of express and i often tell this to students who are thinking about baptism or rebaptism or I don't know enough to be baptized. It's right. like, yeah, hey, yeah, let's, yeah. Throw An- let's throw Anselm at you, man. Yeah, and yeah, then, you yeah. know, faith, the, the Christian life is about faith-seeking understanding, not yeah. understanding-seeking faith. Right. Um, and so, therefore, let's, let's, let's start with faith. We believe yeah. in Jesus, and let's just yeah. not be afraid to tackle anything and everything that the Christian life and life in general has to throw at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that's so good. That, I, and, I mean, I, as I think about that, as I think about... Um, different theology, different um, ways in which we think about God uh, or the Bible or studying these things. Uh, and there's so many rich things that do add value to our lives, but sometimes we don't spend much time talking about it, right? We, yeah. don't, we don't let it really sink in. And so thinking about the resurrection, thinking about um, unpacking dualism and how we, mm-hmm. we're so entrenched in that, yeah. um, down to our, our desire for certainty being... You know, there's, there's got to be black and white. I mean, our Bible has black ink and white space, you know, so it right. must be this or that. There, yeah. there isn't gray area for us to kind of ask and think about those questions that maybe yeah. um, are full of mystery. And yet the Bible is full of so much mystery. And yeah. um, just our, our confessions of God as being three in one trinity. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've thought a lot about that in some of my classes yeah. recently and just go, we – our confession in the, the Apostles Creed and all that kind of stuff it's like yeah. it's very much a mystery you know yeah. you can't really explain some of this and, stuff and I think that theme of mystery and mysticism and just that 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 tenor um, is big in youth ministry within this post Christendom age which we've been talking about all week in this right. class I've been taking with David Fitch um, because truth is now relative mm-hmm. and Therefore, to try to get to people to think about Jesus and faith, um, the topic and, and, and theme of and tenor and, and, and looking at the mysterious nature of God and, and the mysteries rather than the absolute truths and, and so on and so forth is a lot better angle to take with students these days and people in general, I guess, in this, this culture that we now live in, especially up in the Silicon Valley Right, um, right, and here in LA, we're two mm-hmm. of the most post-Christian regions in the country. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. Um, so, as I'm just kind of thinking about, um, kind of putting language to some of the stuff you've talked about with the sticky faith things and your youth ministry and what you're trying to do to to care for young people and, mm-hmm. and your church and and maybe integration minister is <laughs> is kind of a funny phrase, but it's really what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. Um, uh, 
Chap Clark is now using this term adoptive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're all co-siblings together in Christ, right. and what the church really needs to do is is adopt the vulnerable, right. adopt the young people as part of the family. God actually adopts us all, yeah. and so we're not really we're not spiritual parents of these kids, but we're actually like older brothers and, and older sisters. Um, as Jesus is our older brother, you know, and, and I think about that and I kind of go, yeah, it's, it's a different mode when you're seen as a, as a kind of a peer in some ways with these yeah, yeah. Uh, young people or, or people in the church that don't have seminary degrees or something. Yeah. Um, and so maybe the term, you know, uh, dialogue fits, right. That we're trying to spark dialogue, meaningful yeah. conversation, uh, with people that, that moves us along to, as you said, faith-seeking understanding, where we, we, we start from this place of, of faith and belief in the other as, as being valued because they're made in the image of God, and so then we're, we're trying to understand them. So um, if if you're thinking about your life and how you, you know, what are some practices, what are some things that help you do that better, if you will, add value to your life um, right. in a way that, that help you spark meaningful dialogue? I mean, you mentioned the sicky faith um, stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there things, are you still using Sticky Faith or are there other um, Yeah, I mean, uh, using use? Sticky Faith and the principles found in there. And, you know, we're trying to, we're finding that in, in the Silicon Valley, it's really hard to get uh, together with students because mm-hmm. their, their, um, their lives are so busy, mm-hmm. um, their schedule is so packed. And and at any rate, um, what... You know, Sticky Faith is saying what Kenneth Creasy Dean is saying in Almost Christian, what uh, Christian Smith is saying in Soul Searching and all the stuff from the National Study of Youth Religion is parents are the primary spiritual coaches and influence on the spiritual lives of, of their students, of their, of their own children. And therefore, you know, the, 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 there's a, a big uh, stat that Orange uses like, you know, we see students on, a, on average, uh, any given student, uh, 40 hours uh, a year mm-hmm. that they come to church, 40 hours. Whereas uh, compared to awake hours at home, parents see their kids 3,000. It's something like that, 3,000 compared yeah. to 40. And therefore, our job, our role is not to be the rock star. Like, hey, look at me. And, and when you look at me and meet me and get to know me, you know I'm not a rock star. <laughs> I'm not the prototypical youth minister who's crazy type A personality, people person. I'm the exact opposite. So when people see me, it's like, what? <laughs> you're, yeah. a, you're a student minister? Yeah. Um, our, my job, and, and we see, Corey and I, we see our job is really heavily uh, emphasizing partnering with parents. Mm. And, and, and figuring out what that looks like and how to do so because it's hard to get together with them as well. You know, we're trying to get into their homes and have dinner and coffee with them. And, right. and we're being successful with some people, but not most. Mm-hmm. You know, we have about 72 middle school and high school students and therefore like, you know, 30 to 40 families right. um, at Campbell. And, but, you know, we, so we're trying to partner with parents. You know, we created a bring it home guide Mm-hmm. which is uh, includes a bunch of different uh, ideas for families in, within the community to go and serve together because it's more influential for their students to see them live out and be legit Christians right. than for me just to talk and tell them about what that looks like. They yeah. need, they learn from somebody rather, um, you know, doing life and doing the Christian life and serving together beside them than they will in a kind of class format. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Bring It Home guides and 
And one thing that uh, we launched back in this fall is our app. Uh, we try to use that as like a one-stop shop uh, where parents can go to to either you know find all those resources that we provide them. Um, the Culture Translator is one that's like awesome. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. yeah, and they provide parent guides, and we've bought a bunch of those parent guides recently, and we're just uploading them to the app, and so they can access them through the app, and they can watch our parent minutes that we create one one a week, or the students can watch our student minutes that we create once a week, um, and a lot of other things. Just you know, so it's just a means of communicating, but also partnering together with you, saying, "Hey, we're here." Or on your phone, whatever you need, what what we're doing, it you can find it on there to mm-hmm. stay engaged. Um, but that's that's a big chunk of what we see our job as student ministers at Campbell is to partner with parents to be that main spiritual co- coach and champion of mm-hmm. their children, of their students. And if we don't do that, then we're not doing our job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, as a twenty-six-year-old, uh, I'm I'm married, but at the same point, it's like three years so I, I don't have children yet yeah. but even your kids how old is um chance is gonna chance? be eight uh next month yeah and then riley six and toby's two yeah and so we we find ourselves as as student ministers and youth ministers often um you know at least behind the curve of parenting and yet yeah. you know we're we're finding our theological role and and spiritual role is to kind of come alongside parents and yeah. um and I, I think that's a really unique, unique thing. Um, so I'd be curious just if you had one one kind of thing about how, how you stay humble, if you will, about, you know, not being so much you're telling parents how to parent. Um, sure. Obviously, you have more experience parenting, but you don't have teenagers yet. So, you know, whenever um, you sit into in a, in a room of parents of high school students, you are automatically humbled because you're just starting out in a ditch and a hole and like, <laughs> cause you're like, how am I going to do this? And yeah. are they even going to listen to me? Yeah. And, and, it, and it's, um, you know, your first two years of ministry, whether you're a youth minister or what, you know, those are hard years mm-hmm. because you're coming in, especially as a student minister with students that don't like you and probably don't mm-hmm. want you because they want the guy that was there before you. Yeah. And that, and such was the case in my, in, in, in my experience and in many ways. And, so, um, in one way, do I stay humble? Uh, <laughs> um, maybe, the, maybe it's already a humbling experience. Yeah, it, 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 it has. It is always a humbling experience, yeah. it, and so I don't know if I have to do anything to remain humble, because in, ministry itself is mm. is definitely a humbling experience. Now, to not be prideful, um, in general, man. Um, I don't know. You gotta tell me the answer to that one because I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I know, I know, because there is, there is a big part of what we do that is, um, you know, we're up front, we're teaching, we're we're speaking, we're um, high fiving kids. You know, it's it's a very much a kind of ego stroking job at times. But I, I do think the uh, and so that creates loneliness when you know we can't really share our our desires or parts of us that feel like we're failing or um, when something doesn't go well, it's hard to kind of um, share that authentically and not kind of seem like you're guilting people like, why didn't you show up, you know? Um, And so I know that, I know that balance for sure. I think my wife um, keeps me humble and and keeps me. (laughs) Well, there you go. Yeah, that's a great answer. That is a great answer. You know, um, yeah, my my wife, Corey, she, uh, she is a true partner in ministry. They, uh, she just got brought on part time, 
Oh, um, fantastic. So, yeah, and, and she had, it's like, like her her thing was the app last fall. That's all her. Mm. And she does so much. She has so many talents. She's a great public speaker. I mean, she's a, a coach, a basketball mm. coach. And so she has that ability to communicate and to lead and to gather that crowd in a way in which I can. You know, I'm more cerebral, more introverted, more type B. Um, I love to teach. I love to preach. I love to, you know, I'm better one-on-one than I am with a crowd. But when I'm on stage, you know, you, I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but walk into a room with a, with a crowd full of people, I'm like, oh, I'm yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, Corey helps me out a lot. And for one thing, in terms of keeping me humble, bouncing ideas off of her, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, just man, I can't express, you know. Uh, and this is this is this is real. I mean, this authentic. This is not just cliche. I can't express the. How many ways in which that mm-hmm. is true and a reality? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so I, I guess final thing that I kind of wanted to, to ask you about ways in which you, um, you know, are are trying to stay in ministry in a in a healthy place or practices I should say that add value to your your ministry. Um, maybe we'll we'll set ministry kind of over here and say. How about your marriage? Like ministry can be a, <laughs> a pretty tough thing. I mean, it sounds like your wife and you have found some some balance where mm-hmm. you're both involved in the ministry even before she's yeah. come on staff. But um, talk a little bit about how you guys protect your your marriage and your your family life uh, with your kids uh, yeah. from the demands, the expectations at times of ministry. Yeah, um, one thing we did two years ago was that when we came to uh, our current context, our congregation, um, there's a school on campus. So that, you know, and, and living in a parsonage right next to the campus, that comes with its own, you know, pros and cons. Mm-hmm. For us, it it was a big pro because cost of living in Silicon Valley, there's no way we yeah. could have gotten some place to live even close to the building. Um, and so we're able to, because of that, uh, be right there. And so that first year, our kids went to this school on campus. And which was a blessing, mm-hmm. um, but in order to get them out of the bubble, in order of, of, of ministry, and all the people, you know, and just kind of not for, for as much as possible, not make them feel like a PK or a mm-hmm. youth minister kid, we decided to send them to the public school, kind of get them out of that bubble, uh, and protect them in that way to kind of en- enlarge their circle, enlarge their world, and and in some sense also. You know, some some parents try to equip their kid to live in this post-Christian uh, Christendom world by sending them to uh, a Christian school. Our our philosophy was kind of the opposite, and I'm not saying one is right and the other is wrong. For sure. Um, but our philosophy was we want them to send them to public school so they're in our mind equipped to live in that world that they're eventually going to enter into. Yeah. Because, you know, the big thing about Sticky Faith is like, okay, all these kids are leaving mm-hmm. um, once they graduate high school, if not before, um, and they don't know how to maintain their faith um, once they go off to college or work or whatever. And so we see, we saw that as like, this is, this is big. And so we felt like, you know, sending them to public school instead of Christian school was what was going to be best for them and for us as a family. Uh, and you know, that's one thing and um, protecting our marriage you know 
there's this if, if, if you're at a congregation working there and you can find like uh, like your uh, like your spiritual grandparents mm. that is that is huge like back in Georgia there was a, an elder and, and, and his wife uh, they used to be a ministry couple um, but they became our kids spiritual grandparents mm. and for starting out in ministry and in marriage they were huge in terms of just helping us out in multiple ways taking care of our kids when we wanted to go out or you know just talking to individually uh when when of course you get into those inevitable fights Mm -hmm. and and peaks and valleys of of marriage especially those early years and and here at campbell uh up in uh, the silicon valley uh, at our current church there there was a, a couple like that that just without even prompting or asking, like, hey, our ministry, and this was a former ministry couple as mm-hmm. well, just coming up, hey, we're going to watch your kids on this night with us because this is our, our ministry uh, to people at Campbell, especially to, to you as ministers. We're going to watch your kids. You can go out on a, on a date date night. Mm-hmm. And um, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, currently, um, uh, the wife, uh, Jerry, uh, is uh, – Health-wise, unable to hmm. to do that, so they haven't been able to recently. But that was that was amazing, and that's one blessing of being a part of a faith community. That uh, you know, where everybody's yearning for more community mm-hmm. because we're so individualistic in culture that has kind of seeped into church life as well. But to see kind of uh, experience a little, a little pocket, a little piece of the kingdom there, mm-hmm. um, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Well, Jordan, this conversation has been a blast, and I think um, we've got to have another one sometime soon. So. I know. I feel like we barely talked about anything. <laughs> I know. I know, right? Uh, there's so much more, so much more to talk about. Um, I'm especially excited to hear more about uh, the stuff you're studying in your demon program um, with culture and different things. So uh, let's stay in touch, obviously, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, you bet. Well, I hope that conversation was helpful for you, and I hope that you uh, continue to subscribe to the podcast. Um, We'll have one more conversation on youth ministry this month, and then um, I'll also have our uh, series on the spiritual disciplines on the the three core values, and we're going to be talking about gratitude this month at the end of the month. And you can also check out our podcast website for some blog posts. I blog every month and uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, some interesting topics on there regarding how we think about our faith and relationship with God. And I think those, uh, if you're a youth minister or in ministry, um, maybe some of these questions that I ask and pose in the blog post would be helpful for you as well. Uh, So again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.